This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Hey, this is Oteal. If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. Welcome back to another episode of Comes a Time. I am Mike Fenoya. I'm O'Teal. Uh, you know, I don't want to brag, <laughs> but man. We're kind of killing it. <laughs> these episodes are just like the guests. So thank you, God. Mm-hmm. Thank you, universe. Thank you, Mother Nature. Thank you, everything. Because these, man, I'll yeah. let you tell. Well, Ken Babs, uh, the one of the original Merry Pranksters, Ken Kesey's partner in crime, his writing partner, his best friend, uh, joins us today. Uh, I consider it one of the biggest honors of my entire life, even knowing this man, let alone having the ability to be friends with him and text with him and chat with him throughout the past what was I 2001 I was out there met him in 97 at a fish concert when the pranksters came on stage with fish at Darien Lake New York and they the bus pulled into the parking lot and one of my friends kind of nonchalantly was like the pranksters just pulled in and I like pushed everybody out of the way grabbed my girlfriend ran down to the bus and Keezy kicked the emergency door open and was like whoa and just like like announced himself you know and uh I was just standing there in awe, like, and, and that he, I said, can I come on the bus? And they, of course you could come on the bus. Everybody could come on the, you know, and, uh, walked on, it was the replica bus and, um, got to meet Ken and the Kens and Keezy gave me a business card for intrepid trips with his email and phone number. And they went on stage with fit with fish and told a story about for two years, the bozos have been missing. Where are the bozos? And they heard they were going to be here at the fish concert. It was two years from when Jerry died. So it was almost, I took it as them saying like, you guys are the next, you know, the next pack. And, uh, got in touch with Keezy, went out and interviewed him, spent time on his farm, got to know Ken, his kids, Ken Babs, his kids, the family. And, uh, then Keezy passed and, Babs and I kept in touch and uh, 
when I went out and did comedy at Helium in, in Portland in 2019, I drove down and visited him and his wife at the farm and uh, we hung out and it was like just the openness and the, and the, the welcoming and all of that. It's just fits in with the throughput of everything we've talked about on this podcast and, you know, um, what Mountain Girl said early on about that. If you're available and if you're, you know, in tune in that right frequency, yeah. the Kens that, you know, bring you right on board. So it, I'm so happy to, to have him on and to help in any, with, with anything that he's working on. Everybody yeah. needs to hear more of it. He reminds me so much of Colonel Bruce, man. I just got that feeling, you know, they're just that same age and, yeah. you know, they don't look like the crazy <laughs> wild mofos that they are. That's you know, right. they look very kind of, you wouldn't think much if you were sitting down at, you know, see him at a, at the grocery store or whatever, you know, <laughs> it's just like, no, you know. that's one of the beautiful things about Keezy too, that I forget what I was listening to, but you know, he wouldn't mind just hopping off the bus and getting right in and like rapping with the cops or what, you know what I mean? And putting them at ease. Cause they're like, Oh, this person, you know, this white guy seems like trustworthy. Meanwhile, meanwhile, he's, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> meanwhile, the whole world's just getting <laughs> tweaked just a couple degrees. So it's an honor. I'm glad that we were able to chat with him and, and it's uh we'll have him back for sure. And thank you, Ken. It's, a, it's an honor to, to chat with you anytime. And thank you guys for listening to another episode. Uh, we're here on Osiris, home to so many great podcasts. Um, check them out at OsirisPod.com. And if you're looking to get deep, we've got some holes for you to step in over at Patreon. So uh, Patreon.com slash ComesAtimePod. Join O'Teal, myself, the wizard. We've got a lot of great stuff happening over there. So enjoy Babs and uh, see you wherever. Peace. We've been very excited to uh, to get you on. You know, we've had so many incredible guests from all the way to Mountain Girl and Parrish and uh, Bobby and Mickey and everybody. And we, we, we couldn't wait to have you on because we've been talking about this lineage and family and how it all starts with just availability and being open to the experiences and the moments. And who better to start with than, than you to talk about that? Well, thank you. That's good to be here. You know, we were talking about Bill Walton a minute ago, and at one point in the uh, basketball game, right in the middle of the basketball game, he was talking about Eugene, and it all started here with Ken Kesey, and then he met Ken Babs, and then they started up with the Grateful Dead and got that going, and then it's joined, and it's become a huge deadhead crowd, and the <laughs> other guy says, Bill, this is a basketball game. <laughs> 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 and Bill's like, all roads lead back to Terrapin. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, he's like, one more Saturday night, ESPN. <laughs> he's amazing. You know, I've I've had the chance to be far enough behind him that he's not blocking my view of the band, and uh -huh. I just watch him. Yeah. And he's like a lighthouse. Like, he can 
every he's like a beacon of energy, you know, like everybody. Yeah. I feel like Otil, I don't know. I don't care how far back he is. You must see him on stage some nights. Oh, huh? Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. When the when they light up the audience, uh-huh. you know, which is usually when there's some big thing the band does. It's like, bang, and then the lights come up and you see Bill like that. You know? yeah, it's, yeah. like, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> you know, um, Ken, one of the things that has been coming up quite a bit in conversations off air, on air, is the magic of Palo Alto. Uh-huh. It's something that O'Teal has been like, we've been kind of thinking about how like, you know, all, all the roads lead to Terrapin is like, is Palo Alto Terrapin? Like so many things happened back in like the early sixties uh-huh. with you guys in Palo Alto. And I just yeah. wanted to like ask you a little bit about like just that, that scene then, like, did you feel it in the air? Did you know like that things were extremely important on all levels in that part of the country? Well, no, you don't know that when it's happening. You only get that as a rear view. But when it's happening, you know it's happening uh, uh, for you and all your friends. And uh, the magic was happening there when Ken Kesey and I met in the uh, writing class at Stanford. And he lived in a neat little place uh, It was on, called Perry Lane. It was actually across the street from the uh, golf course and in the little town of uh, Menlo Park. But there were all these little cottages uh, connected with uh, trails and trees and everything. And artists and all those kind of people lived there. In fact, a drummer lived there. I can't remember his name. But he taught Bill Kreutzman how to play the drums. Lived in one of the cabins there. Yeah. I know. He's a terrific guy. But there was Roy Sieber and the artists and... uh, uh, Jane Burton, a big Texas philosopher woman, and and Coy Scott, the dance uh, woman. And so anyway, Kesey, uh, with his magnetism and his personality, drew people to his place. And so that's where we'd meet on Saturday nights. And uh, in those days, we hadn't even smoked pot yet. And, uh, <laughs> you know, BC before cannabis. <laughs> yeah, right. That's good. <laughs> now we're all AC. AC for sure. DC. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're ADMT, LSD. Right. So, anyway, uh, we drink, you know, red wine and uh, play the bongos and uh, the, the guitars and sing folk songs and just rap with one another and everything. And uh, one time, uh, Alan Trist, who lived down in this place called the Chateau, down the hill from Kesey, brought over these uh, four uh, guys and introduced them around and everything and talked and all that. And they left and uh, someone asked Kesey, who are those guys anyway? And he says, I don't know, some hairy musicians. <laughs> hairy musicians. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but we got to know the guys, uh, Bill and Bobby and uh, Phil and uh, Pigpen and Jerry. From being around there, you know, where they played in the coffee houses and stuff like that in Palo Alto. And that's where the Palo Alto... Uh, gang met at the coffee house. What was that called? Uh, I can't remember. But, uh, then they, yeah, I wish I could remember. My memory's gone, I have to tell you, but it's okay. You know why? Because like Timothy Leary said, if you can remember it, then you weren't there. <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> Very true. <clears throat> yeah, I saw the drug years. They said I was a cheap one of the chief imbibers, but I can't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> then it worked. Yeah, it worked good. Uh, yeah, that puts you in the moment <laughs> where you're supposed to be. Uh, so uh, we got to know the guys, and uh, the first time that we uh, really uh, did something together was I had a Halloween party at my place. Uh, later on, this was uh, I was in. Uh, I lived in Santa Cruz. Oh, because so much happened between all that. Kesey wrote his books. I went in the Marine Corps. I came out. Uh, we uh, took the bus across the country and back. And so this was like uh, in 66, I think it was. We had a Halloween. Maybe it was 65. I think it was 65. And I had a Halloween party, and uh, we were all set up with our instruments because the Merry Band of Pranksters is an actual band. You know, we all play instruments. I play the trombone and Keezy played the clarinet and George uh, played the drums and uh, Gretchen Fetchin played the piano and Mike Hagen played the uh, other guitar and Keezy played his guitar too and we all sang, but we didn't know any songs. Uh, we did a <laughs> form of music called uh, uh, some kind of... Uh, 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 connection and uh, exchange uh, without uh, words. <laughs> uh, and we would, but it was good because it meant we each had to hear what the other was doing and answer that person. You know, musicians uh, today mostly play their part and don't pay much attention to what, I don't, shouldn't say this about all musicians, but a lot of bands are like this. They play their parts and they're not really paying any attention to what the other guy's doing. They know it by heart. But we never knew anything by heart, so we had to listen to each other. And this, be, this has become really the real talent of things uh, when you're grooving with musicians. And I still like to play with uh, various bands. One of my favorite is uh, Terrapin Station, Terrapin Flyer from uh, Chicago because Melvin Seals always plays with him. And yeah, to me, yeah. Melvin, Melvin to me is the greatest. I mean, he is the greatest. Because uh, one of the things about the prankster music it also is that we always go out. You know, we go out where nobody's ever been before, and we've never been before. And, you know, and the Grateful Dead, they did that in their, uh, you know, what is it called? The drum, what, I can't remember, drums or space? space drums and space, yeah. Yeah, yeah. space. Uh, and... Uh, so uh, this is the other thing with Melvin is he, when he goes out, he goes out farther and longer and harder than any other person I've ever, I've ever heard. <laughs> when he gets done, you know, everybody just wilted out there in the So audience. amazing. <laughs> he is a force for I sure. I do. So anyway, uh, we're having this party at our house and my house, and we're all set up with our equipment, our uh, instruments and everything. And we're high, and so we went outside to commune with the moon, and we were all holding hands out there and uh, oming and right, rising up off the ground three or four feet and hovering. And all of a sudden, this noise came out of the house. <clears throat> wow, what is that? And we crashed down to the ground and went running in. And here they all were, <laughs> playing our instruments, singing and playing and coming on. <laughs> so we uh, we listened for a while, and then we kind of saddled, sidled in, and we'd pick up something and play along and all that. 
And so it went uh, all night long like that until the wee, wee hours when we were all tired out and we laid down on the floor. We all had the microphones and we were lying there and uh, George Walker happened to say, he says, what do you guys think it's like uh, on the other side? And so Neil Cassidy, well, you know, laps Catholic and all that. He says, I got to believe in it. Uh, I mean, but of course, I don't want to mess with up purgatory. Get out of here. He says, I want derogatory. Says, okay, so uh, well, what do you think, Babs? I said, well, you know, I, I'm willing to take whatever happens. I mean, nobody's ever been there and came back and told us. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're around like that. And finally, he got to Allen Ginsberg, and Ginsberg says, well, he says like this. He says, uh, there was a chicken crossing the road, no, walking along the road, and he looks over, and across the road is another chicken. And he asks the other chicken, he says, hey, he says, how do you get to the other side? Chicken looks at him and says, you're on the other side. (laughs) 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 So so at at dawn, we, of course, broke up and everybody went home. And over a period of time of uh, 100 or 200 years, as people call that the first acid test, yeah. And so no, we let it, we let that, we let that slide because, you know, the beautiful thing about what we're talking about, in fact, all of life is a myth. And as you move forward, then whatever you did is added to the myth. And so now anything, anybody or any, uh, anything that happens that talks about those days that we're talking about now, the uh, first days, Oh, there's my phone. I got to get, turn that off. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, where was I? Oh, anything that, that people talk about now adds to the myth. Like, I don't know how many people have come up and told me that they were on the bus uh, that went to New York and back. And I said, oh, yeah, sure, right, right. You know, and I think later, if all the people that said that were lined up, they'd make a line from here to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bigger bus than you thought. <laughs> oh, longer, longer. <laughs> and so anyway, the the the... The myth is growing like a mountain, growing up, 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 up to a point like that. And over the years, all the baloney and all the false stuff will slough off until it'll be this shiny, shiny uh, uh, golden uh, pyramid shape. And that will be the real story. That'll be like 2,000 years from now. And somebody (laughs) of that day, like Homer, uh, will write the story. And that's the one I want to read. Yes. Absolutely. That's why we have you on here because, you know, when you have the privilege and the opportunity and a blessing to have the living history straight from the horse's mouth. (laughs) 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 Oh, God, that woke my dog up. (laughs) He's coming over here to check this out. (laughs) 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 Awesome. But, uh, but you know, uh, that's true. And uh, as I get older, you know, I become fewer in, in my numbers of friends that uh, are still telling the story. Uh, but it's good. Uh, and so I took it upon myself to write this big book called Cronies. It's like yes. 580 pages long. And it starts with me meeting Kesey uh, uh, at Palo Alto there at Stanford in 1959 and ends with him dying in uh, 2001. 
and it covers the adventures that we had with Cassidy and the pranksters and the dead and uh, all our friends. Uh, and each chapter is a story in itself uh, that tells something. And then the next chapter tells something. It's not like a traditional book. Uh, so as a result, I haven't been able to find a publisher for over a year. <laughs> wow. Gone through like, I don't know, 50 publishers. Because it, they don't see it as being a big seller because they don't know about us. People yeah. in big business, they don't know we exist. They don't know the millions of us that are out here in this country not participating in any of the cranky, dumb stuff that's going on, but keeping the spirit alive with our music and our dance and our stories and our behavior to one another. How we are uh, uh, a huge army. And I, they don't know, but that's my audience for my book. <laughs> yeah. And that's why we want, yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, I, I've been talking nonstop about my visit out to see you the last time when I, when I was in Oregon doing stand up, and I came to visit you for the uh, day and, and you said so many amazing things that have really made an imprint on me and I've anything that we could do to help spread the, I think self-publishing that book yeah. and getting it out to the, you know, like we should have a conversation afterwards about making this happen because well, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's almost in the work. Uh, Freddie Hahn, our old uh, prankster buddy uh, who's been on the bus with us for all our trips is in San Francisco and he does this. He puts right. together the book and right now he's putting together uh, this book. Uh, Kesey and I did a series of small literary magazines in the seventies called spit in the ocean. Yes. And Spit in the Ocean number six is called The Cassidy Issue, and I uh, edited it. So that book is very hard to get now. And uh, I was at Tsunami Books, our bookstore, the other day, and the uh, owner came up with a copy of it, and he said, here, this guy wants you to sign it. Wow. And so, and so I signed the book, and he said, you know, that guy paid $75 for that uh, used book. I said, wow. oh, I said, so, okay. So I called up Freddie and I said, can you reprint this book for us? He said, sure thing. He said, send me a copy. And I found a pristine copy that had never been opened. And nice. I sent it to him and he chopped off the spine and opened all the pages, scanned them all in, and now they're ready to go to the printer. Fantastic. So within another month, you'll all hear about the opportunity nice. to buy uh, Spit in the Ocean number six. Beautiful. That's fantastic. I remember uh, Spit Volume 7 was called All About Keezy. Yeah, and, the Keezy, uh, yeah. The Keezy, and that was uh, a portion of my interview with Ken was in there about when That's you guys right. went to the Jefferson Airplane show. And uh -huh. uh, that that was, um, I remember the cover. I could see it. It was him with the Jester hat on. It was a nice, colorful, vivid. Yeah, this story needs to continue because it does, you know, embody a spirit that... Uh, not that it ever, not that it ever slowed down, but it's definitely more vibrant than ever in a lot of ways too. You know, oh, the way yeah. that we can communicate these days, and and uh -huh. you know the discussions that are being had. One thing that I talk about with uh, Oteil quite a bit from our visit was how something so profound you told me. And I don't even know if you realize how helpful it was about naming the voices. <laughs> that's true yeah the voice <laughs> in your head yeah that totally was, we were uh, talking about alki who who's always you know like why don't you have a beer and it's like uh, no go for a run <laughs> <laughs> exactly right well this is a good point because this is the problem that's going on in the world is people with what's in their heads they think that's real they think what's in your head is the real thing you know so you got people believing all these really crackpot things because they believe it in their head 
I saw a bumper sticker that said, "Just because you uh, just just because you think it doesn't mean it's true." Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So talking about this uh, with uh, Mike that time, I was pointing out that there are forces working on us all the time that we don't know about. You know, coming in on something, and some of them are benevolent, and some of them are uh, malevolent. And so they, these these forces, these spirits, they want to play in our world. They don't have bodies. They see what we're doing and everything. Oh, God, they, they, you know, they, they're like seeing a basketball game. You want to get in there and play. <laughs> and so they have found that they can wound their way into our heads in some way with uh, some kind of emanations or whatever. And so people pick up on this stuff all the time. I mean, I do it all the time. I get the thought in my head, uh, mostly because I read these stupid detective novels, you know, and thrillers <laughs> where bad shit's always happening. And I get into a situation where I think, well, now, if I snuck up behind that guy and, uh, with this uh, little uh, uh, piece of uh, uh, toilet paper in my hand and, uh, and whapped him across the face like with that, you know, something like that, I think, no, shut up up there. Don't take that shit. God damn it, I told you not to do that anymore. <laughs> and I said, and then you have to let a beautiful thought come in, a wonderful thought about one like, oh, there's a guy over there. He doesn't look too hot. I think he needs help. And you go over and you help him out, get him up off the gutter, you know, brush him off a little bit and give him a couple bucks, go get a drink, you know, and you're, all that bad stuff is gone. So this is the secret. You can't yeah. fight evil head on. Because it gets stronger. The stronger you push evil, the harder it pushes back. So what you do is you just back off and you don't fight it. You just think good thoughts. So you embrace the, the wonderful stuff. And there's just no room then for the bad stuff. That's the way you keep it out. Fill it up with the good stuff. Yep. That's what yeah. Martin Luther King said. Light drives out the darkness. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, all the guys, when you think about it, I mean, uh, even... Uh, What's his name? Uh, Alfred E. Newman. What? Me worry? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, and, and what's his name? Mahababa. You know, it says, don't worry, be happy. <clears throat> That's right. And, yeah. Can't get more and, simple and, than that. I know. And Neil Cassidy's one of his best lines is, nobody was ever happy, angry. <laughs> I know one guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's his joy. <laughs> exactly. God, God had to make one, right? <laughs> you know? yeah, right, right. Just an example. The Thai uh, cops, you know. Yeah, give me your hate. Uh, uh, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, really? That's good. Be absorbent. <laughs> hey Ken, would you uh, would you ever consider reading your own audiobook? Because man, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and the wrong reader can really totally just ruin it. But I find that when the person that wrote it reads it, that because they have the cadence for what they wrote, oh, yeah, right. your voice is great for that, man. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, when I uh, get this. Uh... Cronies out, I definitely am going to do the audiobook myself. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, Excellent. you know, I did a I did a, a live stream last Saturday night, the first one I've done since the COVID. Uh, the only other things that I've done is like this on the computer. But this is at Tsunami Books in Eugene. Tsunami Books in Eugene is our uh, City Lights bookstore. Yeah. It's just like that. And now he's getting into publishing. He's publishing my stuff, and he's going to be the distributor for uh, – Spit in the Ocean, number six, the sole distributor. 
And anyway, uh, uh, this thing uh, I did uh, last Saturday night, I did read a chapter from my book, Cronies. And uh, it was about the Hells Angels when they came to La Honda and we partied with them. And then the next day went to the uh, anti-war, the uh, Vietnam anti-war peace rally in uh, uh, Berkeley uh, on the big uh, scene outside Sproul Hall. And uh, that it's so funny reading that because during our time, you know, the same kind of stuff was going on. It's going on now. The big protests against the war and then the uh, uh, other side coming in and trying to break it up. And what it really amounted to was uh, the heat and the police and the feds all in there. They didn't like either faction. So they were going to, uh, they'd send in provocateurs into these scenes that would antagonize the other people and get a fight going. And uh, cops could come in and beat up on the, on the protesters. So this is the setup, see, as we're coming in there with the bus. And we've got the bus painted red, gory red, and we're all up in front with uh, um, fake machine guns and all that kind of stuff. Oh, shit. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, park the bus and go in there. And so uh, the Hell's Angels, uh, we knew them from that party, and we had gone to visit them the night before, Keezy and I did, in their, in their clubhouse. And uh, they were talking about the peace rally uh, that they were, they were ready. They were going to mobilize all the angels were going to come, the, the uh, Frisco angels and the Oakland angels. And, th and they were going to meet. And the place where everything was going to happen was the street that uh, separated Oakland from Berkeley, you know, <laughs> the <Yeah>. border, <laughs> border. And so uh, the cops were all there in mass. And uh, the uh, uh, protesters, the, the peaceniks, were coming down, marching toward, and the Hells Angels were going to wait. And when they got near the, uh, uh, the border, the Hells Angels were going to stop up and beat up on anyone that tried to cross over. And so the uh, heat, the cops had gotten word of this, so that's why they were all there because they were all, oh, it's our chance, because now they were going to get in there and be able to beat up on the angels and the protesters both. <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus. <laughs> Man. So we're talking about this in, the, in their uh, clubhouse, and in comes Allen Ginsberg. He was trying to find catch up with Kesey and me and get part of the scene. And he comes in there and he sees what's going on. We're all drinking, getting high, you know, and wrestling, arm wrestling and beating up on each other. And uh, he gets in there and he starts ding, 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 ding with his bells. And he starts, <laughs> he sits down on the floor and he starts, oh, ding, 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 ding. These guys, they trip it out. They're sitting there and pretty soon they're all sitting there watching him like that, all that. And so Keezy and I slid out because we had to go get ready. And so, uh, here we are back again uh, in Berkeley, and the, the crowd is marching to the boundary, and they get there, and nothing happens. They just march on through and walk on through. And I look at each other, what, what, what? We thought we were going to see a big dust up. And so we headed out over to the Angels Club, and they're all in there lounging around, getting high, <laughs> listening to music. And we say, what happened? 
and uh, Tiny the Tramp says, ah, shit, he says, we sat there all night long, high, watching that uh, naked little Jew sit cross-legged on the floor. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Oh, oh, oh. He says, by, uh, by morning, he says, we had no more urge to go beat up on anybody than anything else. So we just went home and crashed. <laughs> he put the peace vibe on him. <laughs> and, and it went away. <laughs> and oh, wow. <laughs> How amazing is that? Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> that's so crazy. That is so wild. You know, it's so funny too. Like I remember I remember Ken telling me a story when I was out there about when Anton LaVey and uh, his yeah. crew yeah. the, the Satanists, the Church of Satan yeah, yeah, right. came to visit you guys. Yeah. And but you you could tell the story probably way better. But what you do you remember what happened? What he did? Well, as I remembered, he brought a chicken, and they were a live chicken, and they were going to sacrifice it. Oh, yeah. And so uh, we all said, oh, really? And so, okay, so we got out the hatchet and the chopping block, and, uh, you know, we uh, <clears throat> kill a chicken like that. you got to put a string around that chicken's head so you pull it real tight, you know, and the other person's holding his feet. And then you hit him. And that you let go with a chicken, and he go running across the ground, blood just <laughs> shooting out of his neck. So see, uh, the Levee guys didn't know that was all going to happen. I think they had done it in a different way. <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so there we went the chicken out across the Keezy yard. <laughs> they all went home. <laughs> and we beat them at their own game. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so it worked out good for us because we ate the chicken. <laughs> Did it the old farmer way, man. That's right. oh, I don't know. I've done it many times, man. <laughs> I've seen the old ladies like grab it by the head and then they just swing it around and it's like it breaks its neck. It breaks its neck, yeah. <laughs> I, I like, know, I know. That's old school. That's really my, old school. My grandfather <laughs> my grandfather chopped it did, did it once. I watched him do it once oh. and watch that chicken run around and like I still see it. I can still picture it. <laughs> you can't unsee hey, that. that. You can't unsee that. I know. Hey, you know, that's really neat is that you have certain things that you see that are burned into your brain yeah. that you can always, if you want to see them again, you can see them again. That's really Isn't it great. Amazing? That's a great trip to be able to do that. Yeah. These kind of things should be taught in school. Kids, how to do that. Yeah. How to cut chickens heads off and watch them run around. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. How to hold yeah. on to the how to hold on to hold the memories on the that picture of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah, I know. Well, I can mess. <laughs> well, you know, Ken, you, you know what's funny, Ken, is that a lot of schools now, uh not a lot, but I know in Oakland, um, they're using transcendental meditation as a form of, they're calling it quiet time. Cause I think yeah. that quiet time is maybe a little bit more palpable than transcendental meditation oh, when you're absolutely. a parent. Yeah. So um, they're using that in the mornings and uh -huh. uh, in the afternoons and they're finding that, you know, crimes going down, cr graduations are going up, dropouts are going down, uh, violent crimes are going down and creativity. Like these kids are coming out like fire on, on all cylinders. Well, that's the one thing about the COVID is that that people rise to the occasion you know this is another thing you learn on acid and uh and the dead and all that is uh no matter what happened you rise to it and you lift it up uh out of whatever it is and uh get make it turn it into something positive 
And so that's what people are learning to do with the COVID, with the kids at home and, you know, and not going anywhere and the way we're doing this and uh, doing all building things, you know, and getting out and uh, using your hands. And, you know, there's so many, it, it opens your imagination. And, and that's what, you know, please people all open your imaginations to the COVID and dig it. You yeah. are living in a wonderful time as bad as it is. You know, it's something like never happened before and we're in the middle of it. Yeah. It's funny because when I think of like the the kind of right wing, you know, bootstraps, American spirit, like I'm actually down with that the way I see it like happening on the lot. That to me, that's like bootstraps. That's like we find heads. a way to do whatever. Yeah. And the lot, you build something, build it and just make uh -huh. it, just do yeah. it. Yeah. And, you know, to me... They don't see it that way, but I'm like, there's your American spirit. There's your bootstraps. There's your pioneer spirit. There's your, like, you know, yeah. all uh, that stuff as uniquely American, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is what's important about America. All that bullshit about America, America, break, like, a, like America has always been great and will always be great because of the actual place of America. Yeah. It yeah. works on us and it helps us to be a certain way. And this whole thing uh, about uh, people uh, trying to mess up words, uh, like patriot, like the yeah. worst, awfulest guys call themselves patriots. <laughs> well, maybe they are patriotic to something, <laughs> but you yes. know, the true American patriot, you know, is not like that. The true American patriot, patriot will stand up for what's right, you know, and fight for what's right, but he won't go off with a deep end and pick on other people in any way. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more on Comes a Time. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at Smartwool. For more than 25 years, Smartwool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They're here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. Yeah, well, it's like conservative. I consider myself a conservative. Absolutely. I want to conserve American education. Yes. I want to conserve Amer American health. Yes. I want to conserve Americans, American land yes. and natural resources. Yes. I want to conserve American arts. Yes. I want to conserve, you know, like I'm yeah. like conserve yes. human rights. Yeah. Cons yes. I want to conserve uh, human rights and equality. And I've, you know, like, wow, man, yeah. I want to conserve American peace. Yeah. See, very good. We're we proud conservators. <laughs> the conservators. That's the a new party. The conservator. <laughs> the conservators of common sense. That's our yeah. party. That's it. Uh, you know, it. Yeah, because we don't want to be the other thing. You know what you get when you combine a penis and a potato? What's what? that? A dictator. <laughs> very true very true i know and we've seen a few examples <laughs> yes we have oh if we could only make that hat <laughs> that's our merch that's going to be the merch coming <laughs> um we've been uh O'Teal and i in tandem have been listening to uh 
the Ram Dass uh, audio book. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, Leary and his group and the pranksters and how there was kind of like this. It's very interesting when you listen <laughs> little to the conflict, like, little East Coast, West well, Coast. Actually, actually, it was never a conflict. Somebody else created that myth of the conflict. It was it's different. Definitely different to right. two, uh, two sides of the same coin. Uh, they were meditative. We were uh, uh, out in the world, you know, uh, uh, activated. We were, they were meditative and we were activated. Right. And, uh, you know, two different things. And we were a shock when we came in there because they had just stayed up all night on LSD and we were kind of uh, coming down on the porch and we come roaring in with the bus with the speakers going and uh, Cassidy blaring out over the thing and we throw out this green smoke grenade or blue, or I can't remember. <laughs> it was green, yeah. And it enveloped the house and all that. We're here. I know. So it the coffee. I know, but uh, it was uh, <laughs> it was Ramdas Ram himself who came out uh, to yeah. see us and said, "You know, we're coming down from Ohio and all that." He says, "We have this pond down there, uh, just over that little hill." He says, "What?" It, it was a hot day already. And he says, why don't you go over there and cool off in the water for a little bit and then come on back up? And we did. And then we all had, uh, you know, uh, soybeans and uh, rice and uh, various veggies uh, for lunch and uh, uh, stayed uh, the night uh, there, uh, camped out on the lawn and everything. And the next day, uh, we were about to leave, and Ramdahl says, hey, he says, uh, come here. He says, uh, I got. I want you to come here a minute. So he took us behind the house, and Leary was there. Now Leary had not shown himself the whole time we were there. That's what Ram Dass was saying. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he says, uh, he says, uh, he says, I, I'm sorry. He says I was down with a cold. He says I got a new girlfriend, uh, and he says so. I had to uh, stay away from it. He said, but uh, now I want to talk to you guys straight and, and let you know that uh, I can see that you guys are the flamboyant out in the world. Uh, acid heads and we're the introspective uh, uh, acid heads he says but we are doing the same thing he says and we will continue to work together and do the same thing oh god we're so glad to hear that we shook hands and all that and and, and left and it came it was true we then from then on we did stuff with leary uh for as long as he lived uh, uh different things uh, we even went to a oregon duck football game and Larry, uh, <laughs> oh really? Oh yeah, because I had a boy that was playing on the team, and so That's Keith true. and I took Larry to the game. <laughs> and after <laughs> the game, we went over to this house where my son lived with uh, another guy on the team, and uh, you know the uh, high school—I mean college athletes—but you know sharp guys. And I looked, and they were sitting on the couch, each on one side of Larry, and a whole group of them all around them, all football players. Wow. And uh, uh, just, you know, talking and Larry dealing with him. And I heard this loud noise in the kitchen. I went in there, and uh, uh, my son's uh, buddy, the last play of the game, we were beating UCLA, and they threw a long pass for a touchdown, and my son's buddy was guarding that guy. And uh, he let the guy get behind him. And so in the kitchen, the guy's dad is just screaming at him. How could you do that? You blew that play. You are the worst dumb fuck football player ever existed. 
and all wow. that. And uh, and uh, and he and and he says, "What have you got to say for yourself?" And the guy says, "Did you know Timothy Leary is sitting in the other room <laughs> talking to these guys?" <laughs> Yeah, take that, Dad. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What was all that noise? All that was air coming out of a punctured balloon. <laughs> totally. That's amazing. Ah, oh, that's so amazing. Oh, I love it, it, and it's interesting to think about and like read it and like hear about the like how Leary. I share a birthday with Leary, so I kind of like uh, follow that. Like you know, learned about him that way, and then getting to know Ken. And it seems like Ken and you. You guys were very like, uh, this is our thing. And, and if you want to come play, we got the playground for you, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where the, the other guys are playground. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, no, one of that's the... right. That's right. That's the beautiful thing about being inclusive. <clears throat> you know, it's really the greatest thing about the early acid test days with the band, uh, with the Grateful Dead, was the fact that there was never really a stage. There'd maybe be a little platform, but a lot of times it was just on the floor. Yeah. And at these acid tests, people would be wandering around. They'd be in amongst the instruments and back and all that. There was no backstage, front stage or any of that stuff, you know, and just everything just kept going. And then uh, when there were breaks, people would be up there playing instruments, their own instruments or doing a little rap or a little song or something like that. So there was a there was room for everybody to be part of the scene uh, at these at those acid tests. And it's really what shaped a lot of the culture of the uh, of the heads uh, in San Francisco and spread out to how, how to have parties and how to do shows and stuff like that. Like I don't know you, you know, the uh, if you remember you didn't remember I don't think uh, the Trips Festival, three day yeah. festival in San Francisco, which celebrated all the acid trips that were going all over the city. You know, people come up to me and say to me, oh, you were the guys that started it all. You, you were the guys. I said, bullshit, we were not. Like Kesey said, there was a tsunami came in, and when it came in, it covered the whole coast and, and moved all the way across. He, and when he said this, I think it was in the, about the 70s sometime, he says, it's all the way to Kansas now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Uh, yeah, and it was like Meatball. Uh, you know that crumb uh, cartoon of Meatball coming down and hitting everything? He <laughs> says that's the way it was when acid hit. He says it was like Meatball. It hit everybody. It hit everything. It hit the animals. It hit the plants. It hit the earth. It hit the rocks. It hit the water. He says and now everything is psychedelicized. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't illegal back then. That's right. <laughs> uh, thank God. And you know, when it became illegal in California, we were doing the acid tests in California then. And it was a Saturday night. And uh, this guy, it wasn't a real acid test. This guy, uh, this photographer was doing a photo shoot for, LS, uh, for Life magazine on the LSD issue. And they wanted us to do an acid test and photograph it. And it would be on the cover of Life magazine. And so we were down in L.A. with the hog farmers then, too, doing all this stuff. And so everybody got their shit together, and they got all dressed up in all their clothes and their costumes and everything, and they went, and the music was playing, and everybody's dancing, the strobe lights going and everything. And this photographer, I wish I could remember his name. He was a real jerk, <laughs> but he became quite famous. <laughs> but anyway, he's screaming at him, okay, no, 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 jump up and down, jump up and down, oh. no, twirl, 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 you know, and stuff like that. 
Yikes. And so uh, <laughs> as it was approaching midnight, when LSD would become illegal, for one thing, we were everybody was high. Yeah, that was one thing that was good. <laughs> so everybody was kind of going along with it, not pummeling the guy. <laughs> Who's that three-toed sloth up there yelling all that shit? <laughs> so anyway, I went and tapped all the pranks on the shoulder and said, let's go out in the bus. And so before this, Kesey had been busted for a pot, he and Mountain Girl, up on the roof of a uh, uh, building at night one night. And then Kesey got busted again, and uh, so it was coming up for his sentence. He was going to be sentenced to go to jail because he found something, I don't know. Uh, He admitted he had pot. (laughs) So uh, he faked his suicide. He uh, had a cousin (laughs) who looked like him go down to the ocean and uh, leave, Ke- <laughs> leave Keezy's shoes there with a note in it. Uh, goodbye, cruel world. I can't go through this agony of the thought of four walls uh, enclosing my spirit, which is hammering uh, to get into the minds of judges who are so mean as to send uh, potheads to jail. And so, <laughs> and so he uh, then jumped in the truck with Ron Boise and they drove to Mexico. And the next day, all the headlines were, uh, Keezy commits suicide. (laughs) And uh, so uh, (laughs) this brings us back to an earlier point, uh, why I was bringing this all up. Oh, when they made LSD illegal. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, it's midnight, and there's a jerk photographer. Thank you. (laughs) I got back to it. (laughs) But I don't know if we had the time. (laughs) It would take your time. Take your time. Oh, God, who's going to do supper? (laughs) (laughs) I'll order a pizza for you. All right. So anyway, okay, back to there we are at that crazy party, and we're all on the bus. And I said, okay, uh, in another four minutes, LSD is going to be illegal. I said, my plan is to take the bus and go to Mexico and hook up with Keezy. I said, so all you guys, are, you know, we're all in the same gang. We're all in this together. You shake one end, you're going to rock the other, brother. And so uh, they say, okay. So we headed out. And we met up with Keezy and uh, uh, Adam Morris. And uh, we figured out we'd get a place. And we got a place on the beach at uh, wow. Manzanita and stayed down there for six months. Uh, our visas wow. were up. And we had a what well, that was that was like one of the best things that could have happened to all of us. Being wow. down there, we had two houses right next to each other. We were in the ocean all the time in this beautiful little town, uh, and wow. uh, we had a rat shack set up in which we we uh, had all our instruments and everything. And by then, by then, we were making really good tapes. We everything was real to real tape mm-hmm. because we were uh, good at making up stories. And using our instruments to embellish the stories and uh, putting it on tape. And then we uh, were good at uh, overdubbing, where we'd listen to the earphones and all add on to the thing. And really, really able to do a polished, really super uh, two track stereo uh, audio tape, reel to reel. And all those boxes of tapes, or that box of all those tapes, Sunshine uh, Keezy has them all now. Because they were just sitting in Keezy's old barn after he died. Nobody wanted to mess with him. So they are there, and someday somebody's going to go through them and find the stuff. Yeah, some of the stuff we did down there in Mexico was really good, really good. It was so inventive. I mean, 
Casey was, well, he and Cassidy both. And Cassidy was there, too, with us in Mexico. <laughs> he Ooh. showed up down there. He stayed down there with us all the time. Uh, and uh, so, uh, but Casey uh, was really good at carrying a made-up story along with plots and uh, uh, characters and dialogue and everything. And, and I was pretty good at it, too, and Cassidy and everything. So we would make up these things and uh, add our instruments to them. And they're, they're, there's nothing like them uh, at all, even though now they'll probably seem quaint. <laughs> from well, well, it's yeah. one of the things, I know, too, that I, I... I would, too. I'd like to be able to get some of that stuff out. But, you know, what we're really dealing with is time. Is that, uh, you know, uh, time keeps on slipping into the future for sure. And yeah. I look around here and I see all this stuff I'm working on all the time and everything. And then I say, no, I'd like to go do those tapes. And I go, wait, wait a minute, who's going to do all this other stuff? Who's going to feed the cow or the chickens and uh, walk the dog? Walk the dog. <laughs> yeah, send out books. I made a dumb move of selling books on Facebook. And so every week I have to package up books and mail them out. <laughs> I didn't come out there and help you out. I'll tell yeah, you, that'd yeah. be something I would like to be a part of. But, you know, because the thing that was so incredible uh, in in – studying you guys before i even met you you know middle school high school learning about the pranksters through the grateful dead story was you documented everything you guys taped everything you always had recorders going you always had a microphone everybody had a microphone yeah and that's so wild because it's like when you see even some of the little snippets of stuff of like you know you know, in those documentaries, they go, and Ken Kesey and his band of Mary Pranksters took the bus across. And then you hear, like, yeah, you know, yeah, we are yeah. in the acid test, acid tests, acid, yeah, you know, like from all uh, angles. Uh, uh, and it was just like this beautiful kind of language that you you guys spoke, you know, and uh, it, it, it was all recorded. Yes. And that was yes. so exciting to like. Oh, we were we were very egotistical. We thought what we were doing was <laughs> the cat's meow. We thought that we would be famous and great and be making millions of dollars particularly with our movie that we shot that's what it is we even moved after all the verbal or vocal recordings into the uh, camera you know first the 16 millimeter and now with the yeah. video camera you know uh, so uh, we mm -hmm. thought we'd have a movie that would play in the big uh, theaters and all that you know but of course we always fucked it up uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, Casey, and Casey says this is our saving grace I said, yes. what are you talking about? He says, is that we fail and we don't become these, this thing that we had in our minds of being, uh, and we just become us uh, back on the farm taking care of the kids and going to high school football games and you know, climbing yeah. Mount Pisky on Easter and all that. And I said, yeah, but you know why that is? Uh, I, he said, why? I says, because we're rubes, he says, and the shysters always are taking the rubes, you know, for whatever they got. And I says, but it's okay. He says, why is that okay? I says, because we are God's chosen rubes. <laughs> yeah. Totally true. <laughs> I said, we fuck up and go blew me back to the home. And next thing you know, we're having a great time. <laughs> and we're, we're happy. And, you know, we look back on these things and we think, holy mackerel, that's one of the best things that happened. And you turn it into a story. It becomes one of your best stories of how you fuck up and these other guys are taking advantage of it, but you come out on top at the end. <laughs> yeah. You know, Mike pointed out before when Bob mentioned, when Bob Weir mentioned how uh, Jerry was jealous of 
Keezy and, you know, you guys that could, like, go back into not being so famous, you know, like, you can't shake it. If the if the movie had been on the big screen and you guys were oh, on, God, you could never worse. shake it. You know? Yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, I had a chance to, when I met Bob uh, after Keezy passed, and I said to him, I met him at a show, and I said I had the chance to spend some time with, with Ken, you know, at his farm, and Bobby's eyes, like, lit up. And he was like, you know, Jerry always was jealous of the fact that Keezy could step into the limelight, twist the twist everything a couple degrees and then head back to Oregon and retreat. And that Jerry had to kind of do that with the drugs and hotel rooms and, you know, hide out because everybody wanted a piece of them, you know? Oh yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah. Cause Keezy said, he says, yeah, you can be famous and be in the spotlight. He says, but you got to know that spotlight has crosshairs on it Mm -hmm. and it's zeroing in on you all the time. He says, it's a dangerous place to be. And uh, even to the fact that like John Lennon gets it and, you know, uh, but yeah, yeah. I'm really glad that we're not famous. I mean, we have a lot of friends and we have a lot of fans, but we're not, I mean, like I don't ever want to be in a cover of, you know, some magazine or, you know, or have videos done about me. No, I'd rather rather deal with our own people. And if we can enlighten others, and raise them up to understanding and, uh, you know, and, uh, and dig the scene. Well, that's fine too. In fact, that's great. In fact, the more the merrier. That's one of the things There's I think. There's no that... walls on this room. <laughs> yeah. No doors on the bus. It's, there's a difference it's between being, fa- being famous and being important. You know what I mean? Like, are you giving something like, what's your intention? We talked about it last night with another, with a guest we had on. That's like, it's about the intention. Well, yeah, and you can be important to everybody, little kids, all people and everything. One of the great things about Keezy, the way way he was the same with everybody he met, no matter their station in life. I mean, he'd talk, he talked to every homeless guy on the street when we were walking down through uh, uh, Eugene. And then he'd talk to really important people. I'll tell you one of the best ones he talked to was at one time Keezy was, Esquire magazine had a thing in their issue where it's the 50 greatest Americans now. And Kesey was one of the 50. And so uh, they had this big dinner in New York City at this fancy place, and all the 50 people were there. And Kesey was able to meet Muhammad Ali. Uh, and uh, wow. I know. Uh, he, yeah, he looked for him. He wanted Not to talk bad. to him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so he goes up to uh, Ali, and he says, uh, you know, he says, I really respect you. He says, you're a great poet. And uh, Ollie goes, oh, he says that, uh, fly like a bumblebee, sting like a bumblebee, fly like a wasp or whatever. He says, that's not poetry. Uh, I just made that up. And Kesey says, no, he says, that wasn't your poem. He says, your poem was when you refused to go in the Army and did not step across that line. And they asked you why. Uh, you said, no Kong ever called me nigger yeah that's right i remember that man we are amazing yeah Yeah. that's really and paid the price so heavy at that time for it yeah so heavy man yeah but you know i never brought him down no no because he He, is the greatest (laughs) greatest you know (laughs) yeah it's like when he won uh 
gold medal in the Olympics and something happened and he was pissed off and he, he threw the, in the uh, Ohio River between Kentucky and uh, Ohio, threw it away. And that's when he was still Cassius Clay. Yes, right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I can't not... remember. Go ahead. I said, I can't remember what happened, but something happened to him at the Olympics that pissed him off. Yeah. Then he threw it away. You know, I, I think with, with Kesey, too, one of the things that, uh, like, Demon Box, to me, is one of the best books, like, my favorite of his, you know, because it's this collection of stories. And there's a there's a uh, a statue of him in downtown Eugene, right, reading to children. Uh-huh. That's the statue. That's the, it's not him with a hit of acid on his tongue. It's not him standing on the top of the bus somewhere it's him reading to children and probably his, reading those are his big, grandchildren it's grandchildren big yeah, probably you know people yeah yeah exactly and that's the <laughs> thing with those children in that statue yeah. i think are that that's you know literal and figurative because i'll tell he, you something funny about that statue of Kesey. you know he's there holding a book so all the time if you go through this it's in Kesey square there uh, in downtown eugene and uh, you go through there there'll be pages in that book paper pages and you can go over and read them. And there's something really? that somebody wrote and put in there. And that's wow. changing all the time. People are doing that. That's amazing. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I, I used to, Isn't one of my great? ex, that's so fantastic. They, I know, that's real art. That's, that's yep. people art. That's happening, you know, changing, not static or anything like that. Constantly living. Uh, I remember uh, I yeah. asked, he, when, when I was with him, I asked him what his favorite book was. And he said, the Bible. Oh, yeah, Casey's good. Head? Yeah, he said the Holy Bible. That was his favorite book. You know why? Because of the stories. Yeah. Right. Uh, they're all great stories, super stories. You guys ever hear of, uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, uh, Lord Buckley, uh, from mm-hmm. the famous uh, rapper from uh, Chicago. Did all the stories in his gravity voice and hip <laughs> jargon. Yeah. Uh, he did this one where uh, they were having a big old blast off at the Coliseum where the, uh, the Christians and the Lions are going to go on and all the Coliseum pack. And here come Nero with his bevy of beauties followed up to the main right in front row looking down on there. And off across the sand came this big old lion chasing this Christian going lickety split. And the Christian cat leaps up and he grabs the wall right in front of Nero and he slips down into the mouth and gets eaten up. Silence in the Coliseum. Nero stand up. He slapped the wall and he say, mark a golden spike where that cat blew. <laughs> so, Amazing. So All I tell stories. that. I tell that my wife was a high school English teacher, uh, AP English. And she always made me come in and talk to her class. And so uh, <laughs> I, I would tell them that Kesey didn't graduate from Oregon in uh, English, but no, in dramatic art. And they had to do a performance at the end of the uh, year, the pastor thing. And he did Lord Buckley. He did that just story I just said. And I said, this is, I told the kids that. He had to do Lord Buckley. And then I'd do that. And when I'd get done, 
telling that to kids with <laughs> mark the golden spike where that cat blew <laughs> they just they were stunned they, were, they didn't know what to make of it <laughs> they didn't know whether to laugh <laughs> Run out of the room. i know yeah. i know <laughs> and my wife would always say why do you tell that story i said because i just love that reaction <laughs> So, Colonel Bruce. Yeah. yeah. Colonel Bruce. Yeah, that's good. I like Colonel Bruce. One of my one of my uh one of my exes was a was a elementary school teacher and each year I would go read the kids uh Big Double the Bear versus oh. Little Tricker the Squirrel, yeah. which is a children's story Otil that Kesey wrote. Right. And it's uh man, I mean, what an amazing but I would get into it cuz the way that Kesey wrote was so musical. And like the way that you tell stories, Ken, it's the same where it's like it rolls, it's like it's, it's rolling downhill, but it's, it's, it's like rhythmic and you can get into that, you know, and the buttermilk rolled out right out of the bear's mouth and the squirrels like, I can also trick yeah, and yeah. you know, the whole, and you can get into it and the kids would absolutely love it. As go, it's a true kid story. He learned it from his grandmother Smith and back in Arkansas sitting on his grandmother's knee. She told him that story and it turned into not only the book, but. Him performing it uh, across the country, a big amazing in New York City with the band and the Thunder Machine. Yeah, <laughs> Thunder Machine. Okay, them. tell me about the Thunder. Uh, Machine. I got to play the Thunder Machine, dude. It was I amazing. Heard about this, Ken? Tell him about the Thunder Machine. Okay, well, we had this friend Ron Boise, who is the guy that drove Keezy to Mexico. He had a van and then all his uh, welding equipment, torches, and all that. And he'd go to junkyards and he'd cut the uh, hoods and the uh, uh, fenders and uh, the trunks off of cars and he'd get those things and he'd shape them into uh, sculptures. And he had these 13 sculptures he did which were the Kama Sutra. Uh, you know, of all these men and women all done with these metal parts and absolutely gorgeous. But anyway, he made this thunder machine for Keezy out of these car parts. And I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of it, but it's shaped kind of like a submarine where it's circular like this, and it's got this conical thing in the middle that comes up, and a person can sit in the middle and look out, and it's got windows there, and in that is uh, keyboards and uh, uh, the machines to make the weird sounds and all that, uh, uh, and a microphone, and there's speakers coming out of this ends of it, and uh, you, he, whoever's in there can talk and everything, and then outside are strings hooked to it, uh, guitar strings and that, and there's Ding, dong, dong, you can do that with them. And then you can bong, bong, bong on the side. Boom, 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 boom. So all this is going. So people are standing around and playing all these things and somebody's in the middle. And then he's also got a hose coming out of it that I can hook to my trombone. So I'm out here playing <laughs> my trombone without a bell and it's all coming out of the uh, uh, thunder machine. Amazing. Yeah, we, we I know we've oh, done dude, it. We, it's so cool. We did that a time or two or three or four with the Great for Dead up on stage with them and, and doing right. a whole number with all them playing and us doing the uh Thunder Machine. There's one <laughs> online. There's actually a YouTube I of see, I gotta see that. Oh it's I, dude, it's the I, greatest. I think there's a YouTube of it of when we were at the the U of O at uh MacArthur Court, University of Oregon, Grateful Dead concert. Uh, like I don't know what year it was eighties something maybe, but anyway, it's, <laughs> we'll look it's it out up, there. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, just Google it. So you knew Colonel Bruce, huh? Colonel I didn't Bruce know Hampton. Perfect. 
No, I didn't know him personally, but he I just he's one of my favorite guys. What was the name of his band? The Hampton Grease Band. That album was called yeah. Music to Eat. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I had that I got a, I had two of his CDs. I played them all the time and I can't find them now. <laughs> Damn it, I can't. Yeah, find talk them. about that album. Man, to find that record, it's a double album on Columbia. It's so expensive. Now yeah. it's like a collector's item. Yeah. That's funny, because yeah, the Colonel never did any drugs. I think my theory is that whatever produces DMT in your brain, like his spigot was just on. So he was tripping yeah. really hard, but just naturally. Yeah. You know, and it was a great coincidence that he happened to be born when the 60s hit. So. Yeah, that's right. Fit right in. <laughs> yeah, he was like, woo you know, Everybody gets it, or some of them yeah. do anyway. The match. He was the match. That's right. That was such a trip when I came out to visit. How every all the instruments were in the in the barn, Uh and we were able to play like uh, you know the saxophone and (laughs) Keezy had theremin. It's a saxophone that was shaped like an axe for Twister. Yeah, it it was. It wasn't. It had a kazoo in it. A kazoo, yeah, kazoo. And George Walker <laughs> plays that all the time. Oh my God, it's awful! <laughs> <laughs> Theremins all over the place. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was so fun to come. Like coming out, I'm like, I remember I had a list of questions for Ken, and and the second he started talking, I crumpled up that piece of paper and threw it out in his bathroom. I was That'd like, I, I don't have. I'm just gonna listen. I'm not gonna. And Ken, I don't know if you remember this, but I I hounded you for a couple of months afterwards because I was I left a tape recorder stuffed in his couch cushions. And I was like, does anybody happen to know where it is? And you're like, listen, that tape just, it's gone. It's gone. Just let it go. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I I was sat there we got, I, I, we had smoked and he start we start talking and he starts talking about that the original CIA LSD experiments and G Gordon Liddy and the whole thing. And he, and he looks over at me and he goes, are you recording this? This is really good stuff. And I go, no. And he goes, go get your tape recorder. And I ran in and grabbed it. And there was just a whole bunch of great stuff that just got left. But I guess that was for a reason, you know, I mean, well, it was, not only uh, that, but when we went into the couch, you know, there's been so much other kind of stuff that's been buried in that couch. It goes down <laughs> under the barn and it's a big pile of shit down there. <laughs> I know. Jesus, I don't even... One day, down like a hundred years from now, they're going to excavate behind the barn. It'd be like, do you, you're not going to believe what's in here. Time capsule. Time capsules, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the best, one of the one of the most unbelievable experiences of that visit was uh, we were out back where the original bus is just kind of like settling back into the earth, and yeah. it's all covered with moss. Yeah, Keezy didn't want it. What is what? It, what did uh, the Smithsonian wanted it? Yeah, and he decided time. he, yeah, he just wanted to leave it on the farm, and he started to chip the moss yeah. off the paint, and yeah. like the 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 um organic material in the moss somehow brightened up the original paint job. Sure did. So like as we chipped paint off, it was brighter. And to see Ken light up mm-hmm. and get so jazzed about it, and we started paint, chipping paint off. It was right. so fun. And it was just like, what an unbelievable experience to have this moment here with him, you know? And not only that, but that paint was like 8, 10, 12 layers thick. So you chip stuff off and then there'd be another layer under it. You'd never really got down to the metal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's... Well, I know it was a shame that uh, uh, the bus got pulled out of there. Uh, 
it was beautiful down there. It was, it's like Keezy said, he says, we'll leave it here and let it rust in peace. And yeah. uh, that's rust the way it should have. But uh, it, there another thing happened and uh, uh, what the hell, life goes on, even for the yep. bus. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we definitely want to make sure that we can help, uh, you know, plug and promote the book in any way possible. So when the publishing stuff gets ironed out, would you please come back on maybe and we can help share, yes. you know, where people oh, can get a hold of to. it? Yeah, just email you or something, say, let's Zoom, the book's happening, something like that. Absolutely. I guess message is the best. I think Anything you want. Yeah, right. we could, we'll, you know, we're always, I'm always happy to to see you. And I, I can't, I can't thank you enough for, uh, the hospitality when I came out to visit, you know, in 2019 or whatever it was, feels like a hundred years ago, but, and thank you for the time today. Oh, yeah, good. Thanks. Oh yeah. This is a great time. Thank you too. Oteo. Yeah. Good to good see talking you, to you. Yeah. Good. Really good talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. I we'll can't wait up. till we can all be at a dead and company concert together, hanging out. Oh man. It's going to be good stuff. Yeah. Oh, me either. I'll get up and play my trombone. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so uh, Phil and uh, Bobby came with their band and did a show here in Eugene <clears throat> outside one summer. <clears throat> and I was talking to Bobby beforehand, and it was time to go, and he had to go up these steps to uh, go on the stage, and I just hung back, and Bob said, no, come on, come on. So I go up there, and all the band members are there, and Bobby, and then across the stage, Phil walks in and joins, and uh, Bob pulls out the paper. He says, okay, what do you think about the set list? And Phil looks at it, and he says, it's pretty good. And I says, hey, wait a minute. I said, where do I play? What song do I play my trombone on? And Phil looked at me, and he says, all of them. <laughs> I said, oh, God, I can't. I don't have the wind. Ah, oh, that's amazing. Ken, thank you so much for spending time with us, man. You're amazing. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Catch you next time, everybody. Thank you. Okay, bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.